Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Back by no one's demand but our own, not However, from the home office in beautiful Nashville, Tennessee, it is the 615 Sessions, brought to you by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com. Buck Rising, Eric Backrack of the Tennessean, Teron Davenport of ESPN.com. We are in the belly of the beast. We are in St. Thomas Sports Park recording this podcast behind enemy lines, perhaps, if you think so. What's up, boys? Only only slightly disappointed that I haven't uh, gotten to see the fabled shed of, of one buck ride. <laughs> the shack? The shack. The shack, yeah. <laughs> I made the it love to shack. the residence, but I didn't get to see the uh, the shack myself. The I wanna, studio. I wanted to see the neighbor more than anything. I'm not going to yeah. lie to a 104-year-old. I want to ask him what's the secret. Yeah. You know. To a long, uh, sustained life. Yes, 104 years old, uh, my neighbor. And probably, in all likelihood, uh, 104 years old, the shed as well. We will, uh, <laughs> we will save the shed tours for another time. But we have many things to discuss over the course of this podcast. Michael Duraco of ESPN, who covers the Jags, will give us a little preview of them coming up here shortly. And then we will hear from Dane Brugler of The Athletic. Yeah, come on in, Robbie. It's just a podcast. We're just taping it. You want to get on a mic? I do not. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie Bourne, man of the people. But yes, we're going to talk about the quarterbacks and the Jags coming up on Sunday for the Titans. Let's first hear from Michael Duraco of ESPN.com and preview the opposition. Back here, 615 Sessions Podcast, A to Z Sports. A to Z Sports Nashville.com previewing Titans and Jags for the second time this season. Joining us now on the line is the man who has lived through Minshew Mania and the Jalen Ramsey trade, Michael Duraco of ESPN at ESPN Duraco on Twitter. Appreciate you stopping by, my friend. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Of course. Always a pleasure to chat. This team, Michael, seems to have kind of leveled off uh, in their game against the Indianapolis Colts. They had shown some signs of life over the course of this season. This game upcoming at Nissan Stadium will likely decide how how much longer they stay afloat. What what was kind of the first Nick Foles experience like for you guys? Well, uh, not, <laughs> that size yeah. says it all. <laughs> Yeah, not not what they exactly were expecting. Um, you know, it's the expectations on him were probably unfair for that game because, you know, he hadn't played in 10 weeks. And, you know, he shows up and, and you know, he's practiced for a couple of weeks. But you guys know there's no substitute for game reps. So, you know, he made some really good throws and then he made some Blake Bortles throws. Um, you know, throwing off the back foot into double coverage, just throwing the ball up, hoping someone catches it with – his jersey, his team's jersey on, 
you know, but by the end of the game, you know, he ended up with almost 300 yards, two touchdowns, um, through an interception, through a two point conversion attempt that got intercepted and taken back. So it was a mixed bag. But again, I, I think fans here were expecting him to show up and light it up. And, and that really wasn't fair because he missed all that time. Yeah, the the impetus for the change, obviously, Gardner Minshew was was great, all things considered. Uh, and in surviving that absence of Nick Foles as a backup quarterback, given you know rookie and his draft status and all the other things that have been detailed ad nauseum about him, what exactly is the coaching staff? Is is anything going to change? I guess, or is there is there primary function still still to try and get Leonard Fournette involved early, even if that ne- that's not necessarily what they did against Indy. Well, it better be, to be honest with you, because they're hurting themselves, shooting themselves in the foot if they don't. Because, you know, if you look even before the week before, or the game before, excuse me, because they had to buy against Houston, he had uh, six carries in the first half. And against the Colts, he had five carries in the first half. And both of those games were one-score games at halftime. So that's inexcusable. Uh, Now, obviously, when things get out of hand in the second half, you know, you, you abandon the run and you start throwing it all over the place. But the key for this team is is to get Fournette involved and to, you know, move the offense around him. I mean, he going into that Houston game, I think it was the, the leading rusher in the AFC. Uh, he'd been playing more, you know, more than 90% of the team's offensive snaps. And to just ignore him um, when the game is nowhere close to out of control, where it's still, well, like I said, a one-point game and, and maybe even a 10-point game, with the Colts last week, that's just inexcusable, uh, you know, and, and they've got to get back to, to pounding the football with him, especially against a team like the Titans, because that's what the Titans want to do to them. The Titans are a team that are physical with this team. They're pretty much the only team that they play every year that, that out physicals them and punches them in the mouth from the moment the game starts, to the moment the game ends. And in order to fight back with that, you've got to be physical on your own uh, as well. So I'm expecting a heavy, heavy dose of Leonard Fournette this week. So many Titans fans listening to this, Michael, just gave this exasperated sigh when you're talking about (laughs) how inexcusable it is to not get Leonard Fournette involved early when that's been a lot of, and, you know, first-year offensive coordinator, first-year play caller here in Nashville still trying to get his feet under him. But the... The inability uh, to involve Derrick Henry on as many plays as humanly possible uh, has been a point of frustration here for them. Let's talk about the defense, though, because Josh Allen is a bat out of hell uh, in any circumstance. He gave Jack Conklin and Dennis Kelly the business last time that these two teams squared off in Week 3. What kind of growth have you seen from him? What does he like to cover? I'm fascinated by him. Uh, He's a fun kid, uh, happy-go-lucky. Uh, he's really kind of glued himself to Calais Campbell, um, you know, to learn as much as he can. But it's sort of in that annoying but good little brother way, you know, like he'll be walking by Calais while Calais is doing an interview and he'll make fun of him and do stuff like that. He, he's just a fun, happy-go-lucky kid. Uh, and then he gets on the field and then he's a beast. And, you know, he, he, the thing about it is, is he's still working at this point on a lot of natural ability and instinct. Um, you know, he still hasn't really developed, you know, uh, two or three pass rush moves. You know, that stuff's going to come in time. He's expected to go spend uh, the offseason with uh, the um, Von Miller pass rush camp, so you can imagine what that might do for him. 
but you know he's been everything that they had hoped he would be. He's already got the he tied the franchise record for sacks by a rookie, uh, which was held by Enik Ngakwe. There's still six games to go, uh, so he should be ending up in double digits. And there's not been a long list of guys in this franchise that have had double digit sack seasons. Period. So. Um, you know, it's been fantastic. He fell into their laps and, and everything that they hoped he would be, he has been. Well, where are they vulnerable defensively? <laughs> it looks like without Marcel Darius, they're, they're acquiescing to the run uh, more often than they'd like to. Doesn't look like things have changed much schematically with Jalen Ramsey no longer being in their picture. They're still, they still play the same uh, defensive base defense anyway. Uh, at any yeah. rate, what has what has kind of been what is their vulnerability on defense? Well, they can't stop the run. They've given up 200 yards the last two games that they've played. Um, they've been manhandled around out front, and part of that a little bit is due to Marcel Doris. Now he wasn't playing at a extremely high level, Pro Bowl level, but he is a guy that is hard to move and is athletic and really strong, and he would anchor in the middle there. But still, there's no excuse for what's happening the last two weeks where guys are out of position, guys are guessing wrong, they're leaving gaps. Um, and then if when they're in position to make tackles, they don't make the tackle. It's the worst tackling team in the league. They, they are giving up more rushing yards after contact than any other team in the NFL. So what that thing backs, and they're not bringing them down. So it's a problem. And that's why I'm expecting, you know, if they, if the Titans don't run Derrick Henry 20 times this Sunday, then somebody needs their uh, their head examined because that's the best thing to do against this defense right now. They couldn't stop anybody. So uh, if you want to attack this team and you want to win this game, you run the ball. Simple as that. There have been many calls for many heads so far uh, in this in this season, Michael, and they're only at five and five. It's uh, it's I, I love sports fans; they're the best. Michael DeRocco is the best down there in Jacksonville, covering the Jacksonville Jaguars for ESPN. A pleasure as always to have you on, my friend. At ESPN DeRocco is where you can follow him on Twitter. Thanks for doing it. Thanks, bud. Back here, 615 Sessions podcast, A to Z Sports, Buck Rising, Teron Davenport, Eric Bacharach, the boys hanging out here with us. Teron scrambling for many phones. Is there something happening in the world? Uh, it's the, uh, just injury the injury report, report coming out. Ah, well, we can take five seconds and I'll tweet out the injury report. Jags, Titans, Sunday coming up. It begins the stretch after the bye of four divisional opponents on the horizon a game against the Raiders who are probably keeping them out of the postseason, who are keeping them out of the postseason at this point, and a home game against the Saints that they have the luxury of being able to lose, but their margin for error, boys. It is awfully slim coming up on Sunday. It is, and uh, you know, just looking, looking at that, that Saints game, that to me is, again, one of those types of games that you know, on paper, the Titans should have no business winning, but uh, they've had a, a weird habit of, of winning those games as they did against the Chiefs, uh, like they did against the Chiefs in Week 10. I think those opponents, Buck, have a combined record of something like 36 and 24, unlike last year, uh, where the first half of their schedule was kind of, uh, you know, the more challenging part this year. It's, it's flip-flop, so they've got a road ahead of them. Uh, it's going to be tough, but um, as we were kind of just talking about, the bye week came at a uh, fortuitous time for them. Do you think they can do it? I, man, I want to <laughs> say I do, but every time you 
put your neck out there to, to credit this team, they just have a habit of making you look silly. Right. So I look. I, I'll say I don't know. I, I think the wild card is a possibility for them. You look at the Raiders, their schedule. They had the Chiefs. You know that should be a challenge for them. It, and it's yeah, they have three division games. You know the Chiefs, the Chargers, the Broncos. Division games are always tough. And then they have the Jaguars and, of course, the Titans. So it's going to be close for that sixth spot. We'll see what happens. It's The whole the division itself is going to be close because, you know, the, the Jaguars are, are still in the mix, right? The Colts. Forever in the it, mix. The it, entire division is exactly. in the mix. That's, that's the – yeah, and that's the, Ugh. you know, the uh, – I don't even know what to say, the parody of the AFC South. It is – it's interesting because the conference this year on the whole, really, Kansas City, the defense looks like lackadaisical when they have Mahomes out there. They played better over the course of the stretch without him when Matt Moore was the quarterback, uh, but they seem to have regressed to the mean. The rest of the teams outside of Baltimore in the AFC just seem to be uh, deeply flawed, down to the Patriots and the divisional leaders uh, of course, in the AFC East, uh, or excuse me, in the AFC West, with the Chiefs sitting atop it and the Raiders just right there behind them on their heels, the Texans and the Colts both have flaws. And then, of course, when you look at the AFC North, it's Baltimore on top. But the rest of the conference, it just it's why I am so uncertain. Like, I'm looking for this point of optimism, right, Teron? Where you think, okay, yeah, they, they showed us something against Kansas City. But from week to week in the conference right now, it's just so uncertain that I don't know how much benefit of the doubt that I should give them. Right. I mean, you know, I, I kind of saw the Steelers as potentially, you know, looking like they were going to turn a corner. Um, and, and they've been a bit of a disappointment just of late. You know, same with, uh, you know, the Chargers before before their few recent losses. Uh, you know, I thought they might be in the mix. And all these teams are still in the mix. That's the thing is that it's so sort of tightly packed that – uh, hard to write anyone off, but hard to also, you know, by that same token, say that the Titans, uh, you know, have an easy path to get there. It's it's going to be, um, you know, a challenge number one because of the schedule, but also just how crowded it is. Um, and and as Teron was saying before, uh, you know, since I've been on the beat and since he's been on the beat, um, starting last year, from week to week, it it still remains a mystery with with what we're going to see, uh, which is frustrating as far as trying to predict what we're going to see, um, you know, just uh, coming up through these last six games. And the other thing for the Titans, their problem is what? Jaguars, Colts. Oakland. A good amount of their losses oh. have come within not only the, the conference, but the division. So yeah, there are a bunch that, of tiebreakers. Yeah, tie that, that's why they absolutely they have to win those five games. Like The Saints game could be one that – they're Excellent. able to steal, mm -hmm. but if they steal that one, they can't afford to squander one against Jacksonville or, you know, the Colts. That's always a competitive game. <sighs> those, that, yeah. those three losses Bills, in particular. The Bills. The Bills, Fourteen the Jags, and the Colts early in the year. Now, we have talked about this, all of us, or written about this, all of us, in some form or fashion since the quarterback change was made. They had to start the year with Marcus Mariota, and it may have ultimately cost them because they were trying to still figure things out at the quarterback position when these pivotal games were being played. There was still 
an assumption that you could survive this way. We know that's no longer the case. They're one of the best offenses in football, in fact, with Ryan Tannehill playing some of his best football uh, here as of late. But this is now a totally different setup. Now you have the Jags with the season on the line and a new quarterback in place and a game already to kind of figure out what the dynamic between Nick Foles and Leonard Fournette is going to be. Then the Colts, who just absolutely put it on Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jacoby Brissett is really not doing all that much. They're making it very easy on him. No Marlon Mack, obviously, right. in all likelihood. But the Texans, in, in, a, in a situation where you're playing them twice in three weeks, they blew it. <laughs> they blew it early in the season. Yeah, Jackson, Toronto, you and I walking back to the hotel after that game, that's the first time that you've looked at me and said, that's one of the few times that I've enjoyed or not enjoyed watching a football game. Yeah, I mean, that was just terrible, man. That was terrible. But the thing that, that you mentioned, this is obviously a week-to-week thing, but watching the Jaguars and Colts, and granted, Marlon, Marlon Mack's a tough runner, by the way, but – Jonathan Williams came in, and, and Jordan Wilkins came in. And I don't want to say I saw the Colts or the Jaguars quit, but those defenders, the effort to tackle, as the game went on, you saw that just wear away. I want to see how that carries over to this next game because, look, man, Derrick Henry, he's not an easy guy to bring down. So I want to see if they consistently run the football I want to see just like especially that first quarter, that first quarter and a half, because I personally believe Jacksonville is going to sell out to stop the run, stop Derrick Henry specifically, because there are personal things within that whole formula. So I think they're going to sell out. And when you have Ronnie Harrison screaming down towards the line of scrimmage, you're going to play action, some things could open up. So I just want to see that cat and mouse game that – Arthur Smith and and um, Gus Bradley play play against each other. Well, and you talk about that quick uh, that quit quickly, Eric. Uh, in Jacksonville's defenders, we've seen it. Yeah, against exactly, this team. Yeah, and Derrick Henry. Two hundred thirty-eight rushing yards later. Two hundred thirty-eight rushing yards later, and the Jags by that point were already done. It was later in the season, but we have seen them take control of this particular franchise that they'll face at Nissan Stadium on Sunday many, many times. Just last time, they let them get away with it because Adoree Jackson gave up uh, crucial points on that muffed punt because they were unable to get anything going for Marcus Mariota in the first half of that game and the offense looked constipated. There were things that allowed them, that they had the ability to get back in that game. Now they face a similar situation with that tape of the previous matchup and Derrick Henry playing his best football right now. Right, and you know, I, I think um, just watching that Colts Jaguars game in my mind, I'm thinking Derrick Henry is going to go for 200. Uh, you know, next game this upcoming week. You know, I think as Theron mentioned, if you're Jacksonville, you have to you have to try and, and limit him as best you can. But if you're the Titans, you've got to stay patient with with the run and, and making sure that you know Henry gets X amount of carries. Last week he got 23. I think. Uh, for a guy like him, he's got to get 20-plus. We know that he's a guy that, that continues to get better as the game goes on. Third and fourth quarter, he's a closer-type guy. But even even if you find yourself trailing, uh, you know, I think it's important for the Titans to stay patient with him because you know, he's your best offensive playmaker. He's a guy that uh, you, know, you can count on for, 
for big plays, and um, I, I just think that's really important uh, no matter what the Jaguars are throwing at them. Here's the thing. That Chiefs game is a really good indicator. Why? Because they were down nine uh, – was it nine points? Yes. Right. And Derrick Henry carried the ball, I believe it was eight times in, in the fourth quarter. He was their two-minute offense. <laughs> with four with six minutes left in the game, you know what I mean? And that's that's the thing that's really good for for this game in that they still, despite facing an explosive offense like the Chiefs, they stuck to the run. The defense kept it close. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the whole formula of complimentary football for this team. Might not be the same for the Saints. Well, the Saints like to run the ball too. But it may not be the same for other teams. But for this team, complimentary football is running the football and playing strong defense to stay within game and controlling the clock. So I think this is a week where they, they will be dedicated to it. And, again, you just got to keep wearing them down, wearing them down, wearing them down. Like one of my old coaches used to tell me, we're going to keep loading and loading and loading. And he would pound like that, loading the wagon. And that's what they have to do. It's just so funny because against Kansas City, I where I sit in the press box, it's directly behind the uh, media for the team that's traveled to Nissan Stadium. Mm-hmm. And they were in disbelief at what the Titans were doing on offense because down – with in with two minutes to go in various or at various points in the game where they needed needed offense, they were handing it to the running back and the people who cover Kansas City for a living in utter disbelief. But quickly, let's talk about the. Unless you have no, I was just going to say I think the Titans, you know, for all the flack they got the previous week, you know, in Carolina for for not running, you know, Henry um, as much as they needed to, I think they deserve you know a lot of credit for for being patient and sticking with them. Uh, despite the situation, surely, and and it's been a it's been a growing pains process. We talked about Arthur Smith throughout the course of the year, what he was able or unable given the various situation, because it's been kind of that up and down story uh, to figure out. And now it seems that with the right kind of quarterback play in Tannehill, you now have literally the best red zone offense in football, and obviously things have changed with the Titans being off a week and them preaching to a, to a man, even Taylor Lewan, hugely diplomatic in the locker room today, saying we have not done anything, we are just looking forward to what we can do. And it's that kind of win, guys, that gives me optimism where it probably shouldn't be because that's one of those things, those awful cliches in sports that actually end up being true um, a teaching moment that you can have guys buy into because look what we've just done. Pat Mahomes came into our house through for the most passing yards any quarterback has ever thrown in Nissan Stadium and we'll still be able to survive it because this is the plan. We're going to stick to it. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. And then even this week going against Jacksonville, they lead the league in explosive runs allowed. They have five runs of 40 yards or more. That they have allowed. Derrick Henry has one carry of 40 yards or more this season. I think this is going to be an opportunity to get him involved from that perspective as well. They're also leading the league in average yards allowed per carry at 5.3. Right. That number is always going to be skewed with Derrick Henry. Why? Because he is a small, not a small, he's a secret part, uh, an unheralded part of the red zone efficiency that they bring. You get the ball inside the five-yard line, I would put money on it that Derrick Henry's going to score. So as a result, you know, you'll see him have three carries on that one series for two yards, but it, it'll be a touchdown. So 
there's up and down with it, but this is an opportunity this week to really show not showcase, but just keep feeding him and giving him the rock and letting him carry your team. Also, just the threat of him inside the red zone is, you know, it opens up the pass. The Titans are 10 for 10 uh, since Tannehill's taken over. There's been six touchdown passes. What's impressive about that is that uh, I believe it's five different receivers mm. uh, who have caught touchdown passes, but Henry has a touchdown run or th- three touchdown runs. Uh, Tannehill has a touchdown run. So just the threat of him opens up everything else. The offensive line is also playing better. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I don't want to say playing better for Tannehill, but with him at quarterback in the red zone specifically, he is under pressure 19% of the time. 19% of his dropbacks. Mariota times it by almost three. NFL lead leading 58.8%. Mariota was under pressure in the red zone. It's crazy. Mm. What what a difference. What a difference that change has made. Confidence. The, and it's all it's all it was about. Because when you when you're talking about how they're they look a little more efficient in the red zone. Well, they're being told, they're being directed a little better in that regard. They are they are playing more loosely because the person giving them the, the the commands in essence is playing more loosely. Ryan Tannehill has made all the difference in the world here and we'll talk about quarterbacks here in just a second. We have another interview, Dane Brugler of The Athletic, their exceptional draft analyst. We talked a little bit about some of the prospects that the Titans should be keeping their eye on, what this now means for Tua moving forward and in particular a quarterback prospect who we will talk about, Eric Turan and I, on the other side. Dane Brugler up next here on the 615 Session. Back here, 615 Sessions podcast, A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports Nashville.com. Buck Rising, very happy to have a return visit from our friend over at The Athletic, an exceptional NFL draft analyst for them. Also, the host of the Prospect to Pros podcast, Dane Brugler. What's going on, buddy? Hey, Buck. Doing well. How about you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I am I am happy that we have not had to talk before this, Dane, because that would in <laughs> all likelihood mean that the Titans' season had been over, and they're just doing enough to stay alive at this point. But I'm fascinated by the quarterbacks, and I want to get into it uh, with you a little bit. You can follow him, of course, at DP Brugler on Twitter. Uh, before we do any of that, though, before we talk about the prospects, that are coming up, I have to know, uh, am I allowed to be as excited about A.J. Brown as I am? Oh, you know, I think you certainly have uh, plenty of evidence to support your excitement. Um, you know, he's – I was surprised to see he fell as far as he did. Um, you, you know, I, both Ole Miss receivers uh, there in the second round, I, both the Titans and the Seahawks uh, got tremendous value. And, yeah, I think that – uh, you you definitely have reason to be excited with his you know once he becomes uh, maybe a little more consistent with some of his routes uh, especially on the outside I mean this is a guy that could be you know push for a number one uh, wide receiver spot I mean, he has that type of uh, that type of potential that type of ability um, and you know more consistency at the quarterback position is only going to help him so you know hopefully the Titans are able to find that. Well, we will we will find out this coming off season hmm. for certain if they are able to find something that they can consider stable for the next couple of years. Yeah, he has been, and I know Corey Davis has missed a game, and and the Titans don't do a lot of uh, passing, but I mean he's leading the team in yards, he's leading the team in touchdown receptions, and I don't understand why they don't throw him the ball more. It's quite infuriating 
as a matter yeah, of no, fact. But the whole well, lifting I, class here has been uh, has been really solid this year. Yeah, and I think that's uh, something to you know that that might be the takeaway and why uh, you know Titans fans should be optimistic because you know talking about uh, you know it was a little bit of a pill to swallow taking Jeffrey Simmons in the first round knowing he's not going to help you. Um, you know, the first half, at least the first half of his rookie year. And, you know, he's still going to be working himself back. Um, so, you know, really not quite a red shirt, but close to that for his rookie year. But, you know, yeah, when you look at A.J. Brown and what he's done, I thought he was a top three receiver uh, in last year's draft. And when you have that combination of, of size and physicality, um, and, you know, he's, he's a good athlete. He's not, he's not a burner, but, you know, he, he has good enough athleticism where – uh, if he gets a step, uh, you know, not every corner is going to be able to catch him. So um, he is a, a physically impressive guy. He can work inside, outside. And I think we've seen that. You see, you know, slants, crossers, a lot of underneath throws where he's able to kind of catch and go, use that physicality after the catch. Um, and he's a competitive guy. I mean, he was one of those, you know, some of these receivers, you kind of worry about their mentality, um, you know, just going to the NFL level, learning a playbook. Uh, facing press coverage, uh, you know, just getting that chemistry with quarterbacks. That is not something I've, I, you think you have to worry about with A.J. Brown. He's so competitive. He wants it. Um, and so I think, yeah, the Titans have a pretty good receiver moving forward. Yeah. I mean, yak, baby. That's how they survive That's, down yeah. here, be it uh, A.J. Brown <laughs> or Derrick Henry or any of the rest of them. Uh, it seems to be the key to success for the Titans. And I think the, the fan base enjoyed uh, him getting in Taylor Lewan's ass a little bit after back-to-back uh, penalties that submarine to drive uh, a couple weeks ago against the Chiefs. That was quite nice to see the rookie taking a little bit of a leadership role. But let's talk about the guys that are coming up because there has been a little, uh, not quite a, a little shift in momentum in terms of how this draft will now play out. Uh, to Veloa, the quarterback at Alabama, all of these things, all of this season, tanking for Tua, all of it has been predicated around him. By uh, you know, outside of Joe Burrow's shocking resurgence, which will or just surgence in general, hmm. not resurgence, um, he's now done for the year, and the the debate has been had by many talking heads that he should either. Uh, that he should perhaps consider staying at Alabama or over-declaring for this year's draft, seeing that he will no longer, in all likelihood, be the first overall pick. How do you kind of factor this situation into your projections, Dane? Because I know this has to make your life a little harder, given that there's a, a lot more uncertainty around it. Yeah, it's just we're in wait-and-see mode. I mean, that's that's all we can do at this point, because we're not talking about I mean, all injuries are kind of wait and see, um, you know, just not everybody, even ACL tears, which, uh, you know, these days seem to be more routine in terms of the rehab. And, but not every knee is different. Not every all the ligaments are the same when you talk about player to player. So it really just depends on uh, the rest, the rehab, the recovery. And it's even you know amplified when you're talking about a hip injury like this. And, you know, it's important to, Note that you know the you know the Bo Jackson comparisons have been thrown out there a lot. There's, there's a big difference because Bo Jackson, um, you know, didn't quite know the extent of the injury, didn't ha- have a procedure right away, and, and you know that was that was a kind of apples and oranges type of thing. Even though it was the initial injury, the hip injury that uh, caused everything to go wrong. To a you know, 
so far, Alabama said the right things in terms of, you know, he's, we accept to make a full recovery, surgery went great, and that that's all well and good. But uh, until, you know, we have to wait a few months and see kind of how everything's going. How's, uh, you know, the, the hip, how is it recovering? And um, it's just, it's a tough conversation to have when you talk about, uh, you know, durability and, uh, you know, reliability is absolutely a skill. And it's something that is going to – we questioned it with Tua before this injury. Um, you know, he did not look 100%. Um, you know, he had an ankle procedure um, three weeks before the LSU game. And he did not look 100% uh, against LSU. It looked like he was kind of knocking off the rust a little bit, especially in that first half. But he was still a, a terrific player, uh, a terrific prospect. He was the clear favorite to be the first quarterback drafted um, up until that Alabama-LSU game. And then I think Joe Burrow – kind of made things really interesting. And now that we're dealing with this two injury, I'd be surprised if you went back to school just because, uh, you know, I, why risk even more injury? Why, somebody's got to take him, right? If he's oh, sitting oh, there yeah, at no. the bottom of the first round, somebody's going to give that Absolutely. a sniff. Absolutely. I, I, this is not a situation where I think he's going to go undrafted. Uh, someone's going to pull the trigger on him. It just depends on, uh, you know, your propensity for risk. And, you know, so much will depend on how the medical – uh, the medical staff viewed the injury because this is, again, this is going to be a little bit of a unique thing uh, when, you know, Jalen Smith at Notre Dame had that uh, gruesome knee injury in uh, the Fiesta Bowl, the final game he ever played in college for Notre Dame. Um, he was going to be a top five pick, but he had the injury and doctors were split on that injury. Uh, some was said that he had a 20% chance of ever playing again. That's what I know one team believed that. The Cowboys thought differently, and it was actually their team doctor that performed the surgery, so he had the best intel. They drafted him in the early second round. People thought they were crazy, and Jalen Smith's worked out. So it's going to be similar with, with, with Tua talking about the injury. There's going to be so many different opinions across the, the landscape of, of teams and training staffs and medical personnel. Um, you know, It's just going to be a complicated conversation throughout the entire process. I... I just feel so badly, Dane, because I feel like all, not all of us, but many of us who got out there immediately with, oh, this is the same sort of injury or the same area of injury that Bo Jackson had, ended mm -hmm. his football career, yada, yada, yada. And of course, this is not anywhere close to the same kind of situation. The medical technology, obviously, much, much improved since right. Bo Jackson. 30 years. <laughs> well, yeah, it's been a couple of years, and I just yeah. I, I felt, I felt, Bad, obviously, because of the initial injury. I felt worse because of what, and I know a lot of people don't listen, a lot of people who are smart don't listen to what <laughs> talking heads on, on sports radio or TV are saying about this kind of thing, but I just, I felt like it did him such a disservice, and uh, that's not something you like to see. Uh, let us talk about something that has taken place in the NFL this year with quarterbacks that were not considered conventional top high-end, well, not maybe not high-end, but top prospects by their own teams. I saw you had this tweet at D.P. Brugler uh, a couple days ago. Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott. They seem to be the consensus top three in the MVP uh, race this year. You pointed out on Twitter that none of the three were the first player drafted by their own team in their class. A combined 16 quarterbacks were drafted ahead of them Five are now out of the NFL. That is insane to me. What does that say to you about prospect <laughs> evaluation? Or maybe is it just about the fit that they're in? It, it, it's 
quarterback remains the toughest position to evaluate and figure out. And really the biggest reason is because when you look at, well, first you look at those three guys, you're talking about unique skill sets. Um, Lamar Jackson, obviously, uh, you know, with what he does with his legs, Russell Wilson, you know, before he was drafted, we just, we hadn't seen sub six foot quarterbacks have much success. And then Dak Prescott, you know, he's the transformation he's made in terms of getting better with his accuracy, his decision making, just so impressive. Um, you know, it's, you know, Cody Kessler, Connor Cook, these are the guys that were drafted ahead of him. Oh. And just to see, and he was drafted with a late fourth round pick. So to see what Dak Prescott has done has been truly remarkable. He, he is going to earn every bit of that $35 million per year he's going to get here this offseason or, or soon after. Um, but it just it makes the quarterback position tough to evaluate. And it just I, I think more and more teams are going to become more open minded to the skill sets that these guys have. And instead of saying, OK, well, I want a guy that fits what we do best. And, you know, just you're looking for the prototypical traits. You're going to be a little more open minded about a guy that might not check every box, but he's unique in with what he offers. And that's why, you know, in this quarterback class, Jordan Love from Utah State and Justin Herbert from Oregon, you know, guys that might not check every box, but they're unique in certain ways. And if you adapt your offense to fit the strengths of quarterbacks, and we saw it last year uh, with Kyler Murray, uh, you know, going number one overall, um, you know, that, that's, that, that showed us right there that teams are willing to think outside the box with how they look at these quarterbacks. And, you know, looking at the MVP race, uh, I mean, that tells you everything you need to know right there. If you buy in to what your quarterback does best and surround him with the talent, just not only the talent on the field, but the talent calling the plays, uh, you know, performing the game plan. If you do all those things uh, and really adapt your offense to fit your quarterback, great things could happen. I think that's what Titans fans' greatest fear is, that are, are they bringing a, a quarterback, another quarterback, into a situation that he can thrive in? That seems to be, just based on the fan base, that seems to be their general tenor after the way mm-hmm. things went here with Marcus Mariota. Him obviously failing in his own right, but the team certainly not doing him any, uh, any or doing him great disservices across his five years uh, in a variety of different areas based on the constant change around him uh, from a play caller perspective, as well as the talent or, or lack thereof that he had. But let's say, let's say hypothetically here, Dane, that they finish nine and seven, which is what they have done for the past three years. They're picking somewhere in this 15 to 25 range that they seem to exist. If they want to get unconventional at quarterback, would there be an option there worth looking at in the first round, or should they wait on something like that, given that there seems to be a comfortable amount of depth at that position? Jordan Love from Utah State is just one of the more intriguing quarterbacks we've had here in a while. Um, there's so much to like about the raw skill set, um, but he is still very raw in terms of his decision-making, uh, breaking down the defense, but... He moves really well. Uh, He's a very loose passer. Uh, You cannot help but see uh, just flashes of Pat Mahomes uh, with the way he plays the game. I mean, you see that. Um, He makes throws that few guys on this planet can make uh, with the arm talent that he has. It's just consistency has been an issue for him. Um, And if he declares, 
then I think he's going to be in that first round mix because there's just too much talent there. A team's not going to be able to help themselves. Um, and, you know, it might work out great for them because, again, all the talent's there. It's just you wonder about, um, you know, just how much more he doesn't need coached up, or, you know, the intangibles, things like that. So there's still some unknown with Jordan Love, but, you know, there's, there's no question about that. just the, the raw talent that he possesses. And so he's going to have an interesting decision after the year. He, he's a redshirt junior. He could declare. He could go back. He could transfer as a, you know, a grad transfer and maybe uh, wouldn't be surprised if he joined his old coaching staff at Texas Tech or maybe went somewhere else. So um, Jordan Love is going to be one of the more interesting quarterback uh, decisions that we have coming up and then one of the more interesting evaluations in this draft. And from my understanding, based on conversations that I've had here, they are, as you said, like many, intrigued by him. We'll see how it plays out over the course of the next couple months. He is Dane Brugler. Follow him on Twitter at DP Brugler. Find his work at The Athletic, where you can find many of our friends like Joe Rexrode, John Glennon, Adam Vingen here on the Preds locally. Well worth your subscription, I assure you. And the Prospects to Pros podcast as we get ready, get closer to draft season. Not very far away, it would seem. Dane, my friend, a pleasure as always. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks, Buck. Anytime. Back here, 615 Sessions podcast, A to Z Sports, Buck Rising, Eric Bacharach, Teron Davenport. Make sure you're following the boys at T Davenport. NFL at T Davenport NFL underscore at T at T Davenport underscore NFL. That's always the worst one for me at Eric Bacharach on Twitter. That's much easier. Uh, What Dane said about Jordan Love Hmm. out of Utah, that he is the most intriguing quarterback prospect league wide. If we are hypothetically, I'll ask you guys the same way that I asked Dane. If hypothetically this ends in eight and eight or nine and seven, whatever the case may be, where they have historically finished, at least in the past three years, between fifteen and twenty-five, they have options, and it's a unique situation that they're going to be in because yes, they need a quarterback. Where these varying quarterbacks, and there are quite a few of them with various skill sets, will be in the first round or later on maybe what do you do at 15 through 25 does somebody like jordan love intrigue you as long as you have Tannehill? jordan love without a doubt is intriguing it just for me the question is can this organization develop him? right and if they are to get a guy like jordan love i personally feel very strongly about adding an offensive assistant. Whether you could shake Jim Caldwell free from the Dolphins, bring in Marty Morningweg, who has done an outstanding job in Philadelphia, you know, working with the various quarterbacks, or a bombshell name that uh, Darren McFarlane gave me, Jay Gruden. You know, you need to bring somebody in that could develop a, a quarterback. Right, wrong, or indifferent, Kirk Cousins, I'm not high on him, but a team w- was high enough on him to pay $84 million guaranteed. Guaranteed. So he can develop a quarterback. Jordan Love, what I would say you need to do is watch the season opener. is kind of like a double, double bonus. Wake Forest versus Utah State. You get to see Jamie Newman. Sure who's a quarterback that I tell you, if he's in the mix, if he comes out, 
that would be a guy I would strongly look at. But you get to see both of them. Unfortunately, with Jordan Love, the issue is turning the football over. Yeah. There are throws that he makes, and you're just like, come on, my goodness, why? Why did you make that throw? And he had one of them in the, in the game against Wake Forest, and it ended up costing them the game. Just what? a recognition problem? I don't know what it is. It, it, well, it, I don't think it's recognition. It's more or less I know I got skills, and I could fit that ball in that crease. I don't care how small it is. I'm getting the ball in there, and it ends up being – a bad situation. Well, I think also that the talent around him this year isn't, you know, isn't great, um, and that's a reflection of, of his numbers, which which just aren't good right now. I think it's the t- touchdown and interception ratio is, mm-hmm. is like nine to twelve or something. But I, I've I've heard people say some analysts say that he's got perhaps the most raw potential yeah. in this draft, which you know, which speaks to just the fact that as you mentioned, he's he's a project. He's somebody you got to develop. Uh, very intriguing for that reason. Uh, I don't. I don't really. I'm not exactly sure where he would go if he were to go. I mean, he could, he could return to school also. Mm-hmm. Um, that's on the table, and maybe he looks elsewhere. Um, but if you're the Titans, I, I think that's intriguing, especially just with the prospect of bringing Ryan Tannehill back and being in a position where you don't have to, you know, throw out uh, a rookie quarterback right from the start. You have time to sort of develop this guy. So I, I would cer- certainly say intriguing. The paradigm shift, though with quarterback what Lamar Jackson is doing is obviously unprecedented but you now have three the top three I think by consensus and people may push back one way or another but the top three MVP candidates this season by consensus Russell Wilson Dak Prescott Lamar Jackson all quarterbacks who weren't greatly valued uh, at the time that they came out, all quarterbacks who were placed in obviously unique situations mm-hmm. that I think did them a great deal of good. Can they hear, because we talked about the ability to develop a quarterback, can they hear support something unconventional? Do we trust them to do that? Because I want unconventional. I want something different. I was so jealous of Dave McGinnis, who got the call a Lamar Jackson game because he sounded so excited watching them just beat the holy hell out of the Houston Texans. <laughs> yeah, he was excited. Oh, him. yeah. Even talking to him here about it, uh, yeah, he was excited. Fired up. Can they support unconventional here? Because this is not a place, typically, that does unconventional well. I don't see why they can't. And to be honest with you, you know, like Emory Hunt, you know, ha- has said about Jalen Hurts, you mentioned Dak Prescott. They are very similar players. I really want to see Jalen Hurts in the Senior Bowl at Mobile, mm-hmm. and I want to see how these scouts and personnel folks react to him, seeing him practice day in and day well for three three days. Absorb that offense, see his leadership, because that's where Dak made his move. To be honest with you. At the Senior Bowl, you had Cody Kessler, you had uh, Kevin Hogan, Dak Prescott, Carson Wentz. The best-looking quarterback there was Dak Prescott. Yeah. So I want to see how that works. Jalen Hurts would would be crazy not to go to the Senior Bowl to be able to show off. But they're so similar as far as players are concerned. He'll give you that unconventional type of look. Uh, And the thing about Jalen Hurts – is he's a dude that has no fear. He's never no moment is ever going to be too big, and that's what you want. You know, it's kind of like that Deshaun Watson syndrome, where 
you're not going to get in a situation where that kid is overwhelmed. And I think that's the same thing with Jalen Hurts. I, I will say, TD, that the uh, the Senior Bowl this year is going to be a lot of fun from a Titans yeah, perspective. Yeah. I remember going last year, you know, looking, uh, having an eye for, for edge rushers, wide receivers mm-hmm. this year. We're on quarterback watch, you know, from the moment we get there. Let's go. Yeah. Vegas, the draft in Vegas, and we're on quarterback watch, boys. <laughs> think, think about it. There's a good possibility Jalen Hurts, Justin Herbert, those are two guys right there. I believe I believe Jacob Eason may be eligible for that too. And Joe Burrow. Imagine that. Those four guys are there. Sign me up. It's going to be a show. To this point, last I checked, and it's been a couple days, but no quarterback, I don't think this has changed, no quarterback has yet accepted their senior bowl Correct. invitation. Mm-hmm. So we will chill with that. That'll be, a, that'll be a big focal point for us down there moving forward uh, coming up in this offseason, very busy offseason that we are not yet at. But when I look at this moving forward, I don't know necessarily if that first rounder doesn't need to be a quarterback. Will people riot? Would they be, would they be able to do the uncomfortable thing if they think that they need help up front and take an offensive lineman? with their first-round pick, do what the Colts did. Not overdraft necessarily because people cringed the idea of Quentin Nelson, I think, at five or six whenever he went. But that dude had the ability to change a franchise. This is a different situation. This situation, they lack depth. And because of the depth of the quarterbacks here, is there any wiggle room? Or if with their first-round pick, if there are how many available, let's say – three three of the top end consensus guys that we think are going to come out quarterback wise can they afford to wait or can they make a move that might help them further as they're trying to find somebody who can, who they can fit and develop with Tannehill here assuming Tannehill's here well I mean I, I think it helps that the the quarterback class this year is so deep uh, you know I think you've got options and and kind of just looking around the league I, I think there's probably just thinking about it, probably three guaranteed quarterback picks that, as of right now, unless something crazy happens, are in front of front of the Titans with with the Bengals, the Dolphins, uh, probably the Bucks too. All three of those teams likely, to me, would would pick quarterbacks in this class and will be ahead of the Titans. So, you know, I think it's a good question. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see how the rest of the season plays out, where their draft position is, and if they like a guy, if they're comfortable holding off. Uh, you know, if, if it were me, there's there's a lot of quarterbacks in this class, and I think this is the class to pick uh, a quarterback early in. Let me say this. The pending quarterback carousel, as far as guys in the league now, is going to also chip into that and work for the Titans. Phillip Rivers. <laughs> Whether it be oh, Phillip Rivers. Rivers. And I'm not even saying no, I come here, but if – the Chargers don't bring Phillip Rivers back. He's going somewhere. Yeah, That takes up one of the spots sure. that we'll be drafting sure. the quarterback. Andy Dalton, say what you want. I'll say I don't like him as a quarterback, but he's going somewhere. Teddy Bridgewater, he's Bridgewater. He's going somewhere. I want to ask you guys this, though. You know the whole crazy situation that's going on in Washington. Let's just say. They, they pull a uh, Rosen type. They're like, yeah, hey, look. We'll take a first-round pick 
in exchange, a first and a third in exchange for Dwayne Haskins. I could see it. I mean, it, there's there's precedent for it now. That very much depends on whether the running back is coming back, on whether Derrick Henry is here. I to I like it in theory because he's exciting. And mm-hmm. I know he looks so. I mean, everything in all in Washington. You see that offensive line looks dreadful. These microphones have more resistance <laughs> than the darn offensive line. You know, outside of Brandon Sheriff, who's going to be a free agent, I believe as well. Teron, I felt I, both of you guys. I felt so bad for him in that clip that went viral over the weekend, where he's saying, "What do I have to do?" And they're just looking at like there's zero fire. There was no life behind that offensive None. line's eyes, and I and I felt for him. Now, it, it again, it depends because to give up more draft capital here. That puts John Robinson in a really, really tough spot. They've had 10 draft picks in two years, and they need depth. It was part of the reason why last year, you know, he said that he didn't want to, you know, trade up or or anything like that is because, you know, the year before they had so few picks that uh, quantity was a factor, just, you know, maintaining how many picks they had, which was six last year. They have, what, 19 pending free agents? Yes. They're going to get some compensatory picks. Sure. I would imagine – a third round pick when Mariota goes to Chicago. Yeah, we're calling shots. <laughs> no, it no, might, but it I mean, might when, very when, well be. When he moves on, I, I think they'll get a third, let's say even a fourth round pick. I don't see, and again, looking at where they, they will likely finish, because, you know, Haskins was drafted in the teens. They'll probably finish in the teens, the Titans, that is. Why not give pick for pick, you know, a first round and a fourth round pick? You're going to get compensatory picks. And then here's the other thing. Obviously, all 19 of those free agents aren't leaving. You're going to bring back a good amount. Mm -hmm. But how many times do all seven or eight guys you draft, how many times do they make the roster anyway? Even for good teams that draft, like the Ravens or or the Eagles. You know, it just doesn't always happen. I – obviously, they would do their due diligence. Mm -hmm. Um, And it matters – you know, if we're talking talking hypothetically, that his agent has done very well here in Nashville to get deals done with John Robinson, obviously representing Kevin Byard and Kenny Vaccaro uh, and many other big names in big places across the league. So it's a possibility. I am intrigued by it. I am also terrified of it because I don't know what an extended period of time would do to anybody who worked for Dan Snyder and that particular organization. So I'm a little cautious. Now, I think he would be fine. I think he would be fine. His agent, uh, David Mulligetta, he was here uh, for the Chiefs game. I ran into him down there. Cool dude, man. So he's he has a pretty nice, strong home. You know who else he has, right? He's got a ton. Deshaun Watson. Yes, he's yeah, going to be know, okay. He's going to be A-OK. So he'll be in good shape. Boys, this podcast was A-OK. This was fun. That's Eric right. Bacharach of the Tennessee and Teron Davenport, ESPN.com, at T Davenport underscore NFL. Of course, the live show on Friday night, 6 to 8 p.m., 1025 is where you can listen to Teron at Eric Bacharach on Twitter, and the Tennessean.com is where you can read, my man. Thank you 
for doing this. We'll do it again sometime soon. Thank yes, you, sir. Buck. Next time at the shack. Next time at the shack. We will we will meet at the shack. I am uncertain if it has central air and heating, but we will find out together. Uh, we will talk to you guys again on Tuesday. Looking forward to that conversation. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the game. This has been the 615 Sessions brought to you as always by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports.com.